morning. Can you erase those grunts from the recording? Good morning. I'm Terry Davis, President and CEO of AASLH, and before we get started, I want to tell you that this session has been selected to be recorded for the online conference that ASLH um, is doing for its second year, so um, if, if there's nothing you don't want to say, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so just know that it's being recorded, and when it comes to the question and answer, I might walk out a little bit so that we get everything um, on, on the tape. And we're here today to talk about advocacy. We're going to think about advocacy in the broadest of terms, and I'll talk a little bit about national advocacy and the importance of it. And I have with me my friends and colleagues here, Brenda Granger, and partner on the Yay. meeting from the <laughs> from the Oklahoma Museum Association, and Bill Peterson, who is with the Montana Heritage uh, Commission and also the president of the Montana. Um, Museums Association and the three of us have worked together pretty closely for the past few years on um, the federal state partnership grant program. Now how many of you in the room have heard of the federal state partnership grant program? Well, well I'm glad we have some in the room that haven't but you know I, it's a little bit sad to think that advocacy is such a really really important subject and we only get 20 people or so to the session every year and one of I think all of our goals is that eventually uh, people in our field see advocacy as a as a way a, a piece of the business that we do that's as essential as any kind of fundraising or programming or taking care of collections because without advocacy um, we're probably going to just sort of stay the way that we are. So um, thank you for understanding the important role that advocacy plays in, in the museum field. I'm going to talk a little bit. I'm going to come out front because I'm really, well, I guess that'll be okay take, for that. Take the microphone. Oh, I got a big mouth. Okay, how's this? Okay. So I want to talk for a little bit about the federal state partnership program um, that we've been working on at ASLH and with uh, 60 partners around the country for about four years now. Not spend a lot of time on it, but tell you why we're, uh, why it's a movement that we wanted to get started as a part of advocacy and, and where we're at there. And then my colleagues here will tell you about advocacy at the state and local level a little more. Um, First of all, I want to remind you that federal state partnership grants, um, which we're working for through IMLS so that Congress would give the money to IMLS to give to the states to give out to the museums, is nothing new. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, it's being done at, for libraries at IMLS currently. It's being done, of course, through arts councils, humanities councils, state historic preservation offices. So it's nothing new to have this kind of federal state uh, partnership tool being used and the mechanism is very effective in meeting organizational needs as, as articulated state by state at the state level rather than from a national perspective. And I know that in museums and probably in all these other organizations and types of um, organizations there's a lot of talk about well how in the world do they know up there in DC what we need down here in Jackson County or whatever the case may be. And this is one of the um, answers to that kind of 
of discussion is, well, certainly they do the best that they can at the national level with as much information as they can get from Jackson County or whatever. What county are we in here, by the way? Oklahoma County? Really? That's a little too simple. Okay, Oklahoma <laughs> County and, and being fed up. But, um, you know, there's only so much that they can do. And so hopefully with money coming down to the states, even at the county level, it can um, help with uh, the needs at the local level. So in 2004, several museum service organizations started talking about how such a mechanism might benefit um, the museum field. And I have to say that ASLH started talking out about how such a mechanism might benefit the history field, and we weren't necessarily talking about IMLS, we were talking about history and looking at all the different options. But frankly, because IMLS already has the mechanism within the library piece of their work, we decided that it was probably less risky to go ahead and go for an organization or a federal agency, I should say, that already had the mechanism in, in place than to go to Congress and say, hey, let's start something new, or let's try to do this with another uh, kind of organization or something like that. So we focused in, <coughs> excuse me, on IMLS, understanding that um, the, the largest number of museums in the country are history anyway. So um, that's that, that was our rationale for it. So we have our federal state partnership uh, for museums coalition that's been working together. And, and here are the benefits that we have been telling you and that we've been telling people on the Hill um, that besides bringing money back home uh, that will benefit museums. Of course, legislators love money coming home. Who doesn't know that when they can come back and say, I got X number of dollars coming back home for services at home. So it's, that's one of the reasons that it's uh, very attractive to legislators. Um, also, the money is, uh, has the potential of being more evenly distributed among organizations and also for general operating health. And many of you know that general operating health is dire, it, it, there's a dire need for it, but the funds keep going away. Who wants to pay for employer share of FICA these days? Nobody I can find. If you find them, let me know who they are, and I'll put it out there on the website for the world. Um, also, uh, this type of an arrangement helps build a cohesive community within each state. So there are state museum associations that help build that community, but I think that all of our uh, colleagues on the coalition would agree that with money going to museums in the state to help um, fulfill the needs that are articulated through surveys and needs assessments at the state level, that, <laughs> that it really will help kind of build the sense of community. And frankly, I think that until the past couple of years when AAM has started um, working with the rest of us and doing National Advocacy Day, there, we're starting to build a national community of museums for the first time. There's been a state or local community of museums, but now hopefully this is going to build into a national community of museums. Um, and then um, also one of the benefits of this type of program is it'll probably come as no surprise to you that there's, a, there's very little data about museums. If you want to know information for benchmarking and all sorts of things, there, you have a real problem getting good sound data. Well, it's a proven fact that when, there's my little uh, itsy bitsy spider thing, when the federal <laughs> money comes down, the data goes up. <laughs> and there's no doubt about that because in order to get the money, <coughs> excuse me, I have a little itsy bitsy spider in my throat or something. In order to get the money, you have to do lots of reporting, of course. 
course, and rightfully so. And so there would be, we would know a lot more about ourselves as a national community with this kind of, of a mechanism in place. Um, also, it will require planning by the states. Now, uh, some states do statewide planning and needs assessments for what's going on in their state. Most states don't. Most um, states, some states have museum associations that are totally volunteer fund, funded or volunteer work. Most states have one or two staff members. Only a couple of states have multiple staff members. So doing really good needs assessments and finding out what's needed in the states and doing really good planning for how to address those needs is a really hard thing to pull together. Um, there's nothing that pulls people and organizations together faster than money. <laughs> well, maybe there is, but I can't think of it at the moment. And so this really does pull together um, states to plan for the needs within, uh, for the museum needs within their states. So those are just a few of the reasons why we believe that a federal-state uh, partnership program with federal money coming down uh, to the states uh, should be a reality. We've been working on it for a long time. IMLS, it, as you know, or hopefully you know, through funding, you go through um, authorization and then appropriations, and you can only be appropriated in theory what is authorized to begin with. And where we've been working is on authorization to try to get the authorization language, A, to allow this type of a tool or mechanism to be used uh, on the museum side of IMLS, which right now it, it can't even be used given the, the language, and then also to work on the money levels. And so where we're at right now is this is the third year that the coalition's been working with AAM on their advocacy day. It's only the third year of AAM. And at Advocacy Day for appropriations, not authorization, but appropriations, we've been, all been working together to get the museum side of IMLS um, up from $35.2 million to $50 million, um, and to get the authorization, meaning potential of getting, up to $95 million. Now, for heaven's sake, if the federal government doesn't think that museums in America are worth $95 million, you know, that. I think it's something that is a real good possibility. Uh, we're having problems because of economic crisis and getting uh, legislators moving and all of that kind of stuff. But this is a long haul kind of thing. It's like strategic planning or deferred giving or any of those other types of things. It's not something that's gonna happen fast. And once it happens, it's not something that's gonna go away fast. So it really is worth the effort to do advocacy for. <coughs> Excuse me, right now, um, we're working with Senator Jack Reed's office, uh, a Democrat from Rhode Island, who is putting together bipartisan language on the reauthorization bill that will give the ability for the federal-state partnership uh, mechanism to exist, and also uh, some money to start doing state needs assessments so that we could say, if the money went to, the, to Oklahoma or to whatever state, here's what the state says um, would be the money would be used for. This is done on the library side. They put together three or five year plans. It's a five year plan, five year plans uh, based on needs within the states, and then they report on how well they met those, those needs. So um, I really wanted to just give you a, a broad brush about what we've been doing for the past four years. There, I keep 
getting a lot of questions about, well, what, what's going on now? What's going on now? But there's been a lot of just chill out time for us because nobody on the Hill has been too focused on INLS reauthorization at this point. They've had so much um, more going on. But, it's gonna, but when it starts picking up, it'll pick up fast. So I do hope that as you receive notices from um, AAM, and I and I am allowed. You can't get it from IMS, from AAM and from ASLH and all of the others. That you write your members of Congress and, and ask them to do whatever the legislative alerts say that uh, ask them to do. And I also hope, from a federal um, um, advocacy and state, but my speaking from federal, that you let your colleagues and your museums and around your board tables know how important this is so that the number of people, I mean, sessions on advocacy and how to get more money for you guys should be sold out rooms for the, for God's sakes. And I just, you know, I really would like for people to understand and for you to help be the deliverers of that message that without it coming from the grassroots and from you, that you need money, you'll never have it. Terry Davis will never be able to get you money. Marcia Sim will never be able to get you money. Brenda won't. You have to get the money. We can, we can act as your administrators or whatever the case may be. But please know that, that um, advocacy, whether it's at the national or the state level, is really, really important to the growth of your museums in the future. Now, I left on the chairs a handout. These are some statistics I thought maybe you could take back home and use with your board or with some other organizations as to why it's really important to keep going and asking for money uh, <coughs> for, for history museums. This information was taken both from the IMLS um, financial report that was done and from AAM financial report that's done every few years. And I want to go over just a few highlights for you. And uh, the first thing one says that according to, in, two, in 2009, according to AAM, there were 17,744 museums in America. I think there are more, but there are histories. So we'll, we'll figure out how to get them in there. And according to that 17,744, 49% of them identify themselves as history. And then when you add another 883 that identify themselves as general museums, and we know that general museums interpret primarily history stuff, history museums account for, at a minimum, 54% of the museums in America. Now, again, I think that that number is probably a lot higher because there are a lot of small house museums or county museums or whatever that may not be in that number but and and the point about museums that I want to make when it comes to advocacy is that um, museums are owned by America they are not owned by the people that run them they are not owned by the board of trustees they are owned by the public and things are held in the public trust well, if we look at the figures here, how much the public, and when I talk public, I'm talking, of course, government money, um, but how much the public supports these, these museums that they own, there's, there's a, a disconnect here that we really need to, to get in line. Um, if you look at the bottom of the front page, it says, for history, nonprofit, and government-owned museums together. Now remember, government-owned museums, when when we're referring to them in this context, we're talking about state museums, we're talking about county museums, we're talking about city museums. Um, so history museums, um, according to the IMLS report, get 33.2% of all museum revenue. 
Now, if you take history nonprofit museums only, so we're taking the public museums out of the equation, okay, where there's no state uh, museum and no city museum, it's only 10.3% of all museum revenue goes to history museums. Now remember, history museums represent over 54% of the museums in the country, and they're getting 10%, I mean, you could argue these figures, you know, taking a museum in or out, but, they, but it, it, it works, the math works. It's a very small amount of money that's going from the public to pure history museums that are not owned by the public. And so we need somehow or another to, to balance that out and federal money and asking your states for more money, of course, is one way to do that. On the second page, if you look at all history museums, as an example, 100% of the government funding, so we're talking about federal, um, all federal, uh, uh, NSF, NEA, all the federal sources, 18.4% comes from federal agencies, 43.4, or 43% from state and 38 from um, local. So the state and local government agencies are really carrying the day when it comes to our um, history museums. There's no doubt about that. So again, this is an argument that we use on the Hill when we go to legislatures and say, these are museums in the public trust. Only a certain amount of them, a small amount of them, are owned by the public, as um, by the state or local. And Mr. Congressman or Mr. Senator, 10% of the money of, of the support of those museums is coming. You know, you think that since you own them, you ought to support them more than 10.3%. So these are just some, is just some of the rationale. I put for you here the um, funding history of IMLS with uh, their two branches of museums and libraries. And I know I get in trouble a lot for comparing museums and libraries because there's a lot more libraries than there are museums in the country. But once you start taking out specialty libraries and all of that kind of stuff, um, it's, they're really not all that, that far apart. Uh, but the one, the, the paragraph just below that, which is kind of amazing to me, is that of all the federal money that's given out um, in the past six years, which is $628 million, 46% of it came from NSF. Now, who do you think that went to? Colleges, probably. No, oh, it went to science museums science. and some yeah. children's museums. What percent of museums in the country do you think are science museums and the handful of children's museums that may have received some of those? Itty bitty. <coughs> Again, we just got, we got to catch up history. We just got to catch up. We have to let the, the world know that history is every bit as important as science and math. And um, somehow or another, and, we, and I know that NSF has um, a huge funding pool and they really see the, the value of funding um, education within, within science museums. But that's part of the education reform. The emphasis is on science and technology I know. right now. I know, isn't it? Humanities and, and arts are, are really left behind. And that's an advocacy that's issue. That's an advocacy it, issue, exactly. definitely. You're right, you're absolutely right. So, IMLS, 33% of federal money that um, goes out to museums. So think that because IMLS is the only agency that has a museum in its name, that the percent should be a lot higher than what it is here. And then at the end, 
I listed a couple of other uh, beyond museum kinds of advocacy issues that I think all of you should be interested in. And Kristen's here to, uh, for the full funding. Um, We're asking you all with buttons. Uh, yes, giving out the buttons. But you know, you, you mentioned history falling behind and, and certainly no child left behind and, te and the taking away of teaching American history grants and, or the potential of it and all of that is a really, really big issue and a big hit for history uh, in America. So there are other things that ASLH will be sending you notices out on AAM too, to some degree, but they focus a lot on IMLS and the funding going directly to museums, but ASLH will be um, helping you understand where, where funding stands for teaching American history grants and for historic preservation. You see here under historic preservation that there's $150 million that has already been said and set aside It's supposed to go towards historic preservation in America. So Congress already said, already authorized and said, we think historic preservation is so important, we're going to take $150 million from renewable resources and put it into non-renewable resources or historic preservation. But they've never gotten the $150 million, just pieces of it. So you can see what a long road we have on advocacy, even once the money is uh, a pro or authorized trying to get it appropriated in the full amount. And that's what Kristen and her organization is working so hard towards. So mm -hmm. I'm wondering if that uh, data that you have for uh, NSF and IMLS and NEH, are there, is there more recent information that shows what the trend is since 2006 in terms of, is it moving in the right direction for history or is it moving in the wrong direction? Um, Marsha, you want to address that? Yeah, I'm Marsha Semmel from IMLS. Um, I think, I don't know that we've gone back to those data, but one of the exciting things about what's happening uh, currently at IMLS is that IMLS, do you want me to come up? You're good. You're good. I think I just have stretching to toward me. Uh, IMLS is currently having the responsibility to collect and disseminate data on state libraries and public libraries. We just took that over from the National Center for Education Research Resources. Now we are doing that for museums. And in fact, I think just two days ago, we announced a partnership with AAM and White Oak to, uh, to really push that program into overdrive. So what that means is this is the first time on a regular year-by-year -year basis we're going to be able to describe the sector, describe the trends that you're talking about. Uh, we've already done a lot of work on this a new census of museums. And Terry mentioned that she thinks that number was a lowball number, that's 17,500, and that's true. So, so I think this is really important. And, and I can't join Terry's advocacy message, but I can advocate for everybody here, when we at IMLS ask you to submit data for our data project, I hope that you won't throw your hands up in the air, groan, and you know, um, not respond. But I hope that you will uh, get involved because only when we can describe the data and have those statistics will we be able to, uh, you know, make the cases that we that we need to make. 
Um, the project that we just announced with AAM and White Oak is to convene um, people across the sector to uh, come up with the common data definitions and the fields so that we're not making work but for extra work, but that we come together as a field and say, these are the things that we want to measure on a regular basis. I also wanted to add one thing to what Terry said. We say that there are 123,000 libraries and about 17,500 museums. Actually, I always say 18,000 museums. I round up. But um, uh, in, if you look at just public libraries, it is around 18,000 public libraries. Thank you. Yes. So that if you really, if you measure every school library, academic library, special collection, you know, that n large number works. But don't forget that the public library piece and the museum piece are much more on par. And in terms of ubiquity, if the history museums, of course, are everywhere. The map of history museums is everywhere. So um, the other thing I just want to say is that uh, Terry shows you the difference between the library appropriation and the museum appropriation. What has happened with a state program for libraries is that that has helped drive support back at the federal level for more discretionary grant funding. So it has created a much stronger state-based network of libraries. And that's been around now for 50 years. Uh, and that network, as I think we all know, doesn't exist for museums. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, sir. Terry, I want to point out, uh, I, I write a lot of grants for different kind of organizations. One is a small business innovation research grant. Congress is always hammering that those grants go to big organizations. So a group got together, just an ad hoc group, and network and take examples and each of us has gotten a grant uh, and shown the impact and then bundled it all together to go to DC to say it's not Good. it's not great big organizations. So my point is if an ad hoc group can do it, certainly as well organizes um, the histories and the libraries and the museum folks are, we could get that done. You go, Cecil. <laughs> That's absolutely right. <laughs> you am going. Um, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about sort of how, about my background, I work in historic preservation. Now my background is museums. I have a lot of family and friends who are librarians, and so we spend a lot of time talking about sort of what, where everything fits together, where the intersections are, and why they're so different, why the library funding gets, why libraries seem to be, get so much more funding per person. And one of the things I've, that I've, I think is um, one of the distinctions between libraries and museums is that there's a sense that in any community of a certain number of people, one must have a library. It is a public right. It is a public necessity. And whereas museums are cute and all, um, it's great to have one. It's really fabulous if you, you know, isn't that adorable, those nice people in that little old house and those people who, and then of course there are the preservation commissions who are just keep telling you you can't change out your windows and they're just a nuisance. So it's a sense of the public perception is a difference between a public, ne public necessity of the library, you know, the nicety of the museums and the preservation people who are just annoying. Um, and so having the thing, having, bringing the preservation and the museums into a position where 
in every community, you need to have your history to define who you are, and that you need to have that be as much of a public necessity as it is to have a library mm -hmm. um, as part of the education and you know a bettering of who and defining oneself as a community. So that's. Thank you. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more if you're at the uh, meeting of the membership at ASL, ASLH's meeting of membership this afternoon about that issue of value, and I don't want to take up time from all uh, from my colleagues, and we'll have time to get back to this at the end. But you're you're absolutely right, Chris. We have to let our legislators understand how important we are. That's why we need the money, not just because we need the money, not just because museums exist but because they do vital, vital work to keep society moving and an edu for an educated public. So I could go on and on about that forever, but I better not because I have two colleagues here that have important things to say too. And it's our honor to partner with ASLH on this wonderful conference. And we are so glad that you're here in our community. And if we can do anything for you, you let me know. And we will make sure it gets done. Isn't that right? And I mean it. I'm taking my bracelets off because I'm sure that's driving you crazy. Okay. So anyways, <laughs> and the mission of the Oklahoma Museums Association is to assist um, Oklahoma museums with their efforts to educate, inform, and entertain. We are a very active organization and we are so honored to be able to help our Oklahoma museums on a daily basis. One of our goals for the Oklahoma Museum Association is to advocate for our Oklahoma museums. We have approximately 500 museums in our state and as you can imagine, many rural museums, urban, small, large, history, art, everything in between. We have a wonderful museum community here. Regarding OMA, we have two full-time paid staff members. We also have a contract bookkeeper. We have interns every semester. We have 24 board members, and Cecil Carter is one of our board members. Thank you for being the monitor for us today. And we um, have approximately 500 members of the Oklahoma Museums Association. Whenever we do surveys of our membership, we ask them what they want OMA to be doing for them. We never want to tell our museums what we're going to do for them. We want to ask them what they want us to do and then we follow through with that. And one item that's always on the top of the list is to help with advocacy. So we know that that's an important component that our museums want and we want to deliver on that. Um, and as I continue with this part of the panel, I know we're all talking about a little bit of a different uh, topic, but I'm going to be talking about what OMA does. And I want you to kind of think of it two ways. I want you to think of it as how you beca can become a more engaged museum advocate by utilizing your state museum association. I also want you to, as this is uh, kind of um, going to be a repeat of what Terry's already said, I, after you become uh, more of an advocate and more involved, I want you to then turn around and take it to your members, your board, your friends, and then try to get them to become bigger and better museum advocates and then Guess what? We'll have a wonderful army of museum advocates out there, and the grassroots will really be growing then. So that is hopefully what I hope you'll get at the end of the day today. And the Oklahoma Museums Association, we do advocacy on the national, state, and local level, mainly on the state level. And we've been very uh, honored to be part of the what we call coalition and now partnership. Um, 
since 2007, and we're just still ready to go anytime that uh, we need to continue on. And so we are thrilled for that. And our board knew that was important the second we brought it to them, and they voted immediately yes and put actually funds with that. So we're glad for that. Um, also, as I just said, I want you to use your state museum association. If you have advocacy efforts, I want you to call them. It's, we love for our museums to call us or our members to call us, and we want to help them. So I, I'm encouraging all of you. We get so many people who's like, oh, well, I just didn't think I should call about that. Yes, call. We want to hear from you. On the national level, we rely a lot on the American Association of Museums, Americans for the Arts, and the National Council for Nonprofits and of course AASLH. We rely on these national organizations to give us that information so we can get it out. We can't track every single thing out there, needless to say, but we know if it's being uh, directed from them, and of course we research it further and we get a lot more involved, then we can get that information out to you. Um, also, that at the Oklahoma Museums Association, I think it was two or three years ago, we changed our districts. We're divided into districts, so that way we have representatives from uh, board members from each district so they can better work with their museums in those districts. We used to have seven districts. We re uh, changed a few years ago to follow the actual congressional district lines because we, uh, when we realized we needed to be doing more advocacy and all, it was much easier. Can you imagine calling a museum? You're in OMA District 2, but you're in Congressional District 3. That is too crazy and confusing. So we started and we changed it, and now we follow the Congressional District lines, and it's much, much easier and much better, and it's pretty, very helpful. Don't you agree, Cecil, on that part I of agree. it? Good. Also, when Americans for the Arts sends us information, they have it broken down by our districts, and so therefore we're able to uh, give them information from Duns and Bradstreet on how many people uh, are employed in um, the arts, which museums fall under that category, and we can tell the different um, uh, Congress, uh, congressmen or women or senators or whatever, that kind of information, so that's much, much better. Also, I do want to tell you, and you need to research this yourself because it was complicated for us, and we did a ton of research, and we actually even had advice from an attorney, but in the end, we elected to file form 5768 with the IRS, 5768. And basically, what it is is the election by an eligible 501c3, which we are uh, 501c3, our organization is, to make, uh, to make expenditures to influence legislation. And this is the legal route most nonprofits take to establish themselves as expanding fi uh, expending financial resources on lobbying. It's a very simple form. You can revoke it. It's not an issue. But whenever we started asking our members, it's call to action, we actually were putting uh, phone numbers and Senate bill numbers and say, call you know, Senator Coburn or whoever uh, at this phone number about this issue. Then that became that, um, it, it became more uh, serious on our lobby. And so we did, we did uh, elect to do that. And I would encourage you to research that. It's scary to read at first, but in the end, you'll understand. And we do track our expenditures, which we report on our 990. And then it's black and white. We don't have to worry about uh, anyone questioning our exempt status at that point. So I would encourage you to do research on that. And our budget, our entire budget for the year is not really very big. It, it's a little under $250,000 a year. And we don't spend that much on advocacy. We spend probably between 3000 and 5000 a year on advocacy, but we get a big bang for our buck. So we get a lot done with a little bit of money on advocacy, but we do track those expenses. Um, 
um, as I was talking about the national organizations, once we receive that information, we send that out in our e-list to our membership, and we ask them to um, you know, contact, uh, call to action, everything I just mentioned. And we try to make it as easy as we can for you guys. We want you to just click a button, put in your story, put in your information, and be able to send it on. Because it, we know everyone's very busy, and we'll have a better chance if we can do that. So we try to do everything to make it easiest on all of you. Um, bless you. <laughs> um, we also ask our uh, membership to let us know whenever they have contacted the legislators. And we hardly ever get any response back. But yet, the um, legislator's office will let us know that. So it's very interesting. We really don't hear back from our members that they've contacted it, but we do hear back in another way. As I said, we're most active on the state level. Even though we do all this national stuff and we're glad, we are very, very active on this state level. And let me say real quick, we're not very active on the local level as far as communities. What we do do, if a museum, um, uh, you know, is a county museum or a city museum or whatever, and they need a letter of support or something like that or whatever, we're happy to provide that kind of thing. Or if they need research, we'll try to help them with that. But we don't really get involved on the local unless they really need us. We really spend most of our time on the state level. Every May, OMA sponsors Oklahoma Museums Week, and this is in partnership with the Oklahoma Arts Council. And the Oklahoma Arts Council, they are a state agency. We asked the governor for a proclamation, and he always gives that to us. And I brought copies of our proclamation that's little print, because I know you know the real proclamation's this huge. And we actually give him the words for this, so that way it says exactly what we wanted to say. And I'm not gonna read this to you, but if you'd like to pick up a copy, they're up here. So we, have, we um, do a proclamation, and we also produce what we call our museum's advocacy piece. And I brought copies for you as well. And this is our museum's advocacy piece. It's just a one-pager, front and back. And every year we have a little bit of a different theme, depending on what is important for that year. And we thought this year, which was the May that just finished, Oklahoma Museum strengthening the economy. So anyways, uh, this is information. It, uh, um, Stacy O'Daniel in our office does tons of research as far as the information um, and it actually everything is cited here so I encourage you to take one of these as well and consider that for your state if you're not already doing that. We post that on our website as well and we've posted the last several that we've done on our website because not only is that information great for the legislators to know, the legis all legislators um, over at our capital are given one of those as well as we mail it out to all of our members. But we want you guys to use that information in the future for writing grants, for talking to whoever. It's really, really good information. And even though um, with research, it seems like it's a couple of years, even though they do the research, now it's a couple of years before we get the actual results. We just want to be sure and build that so that way the museums have all the information that they need when they're out there visiting. And we also give sample press releases. Again, we want to make it easy for everyone because we know you're busy. So we give sample press releases, ideas to have behind the scenes tours, receptions, whatever. And, um, and again, we see in the newspaper where uh, the legislators are at the local museum having coffee for, uh, you know, whatever breakfast with the staff or um, the public. And so we know it's actually being, um, things are happening, but we really don't get the results from the museums. The museums really do not let us know. We need to work more on that, the feedback from that. Um, let me turn the page here. I wrote this out because otherwise I'd be rambling. And um, also, <laughs> we work on legislation on the state level. And we have some crazy legislation in our state. I'm sure none of you have those issues. But in Oklahoma, we do have some crazy legislation. 
So we try to stay on top of it. This is one of the pieces of crazy legislation I think it is, for at least uh, in our state. Okay, for museums to be tax exempt from paying sales tax when they purchase goods. This has nothing to do with IRS exemption. This is to be exempt from paying sales tax on items you purchase for your own use. You either have to be part of the uh, state, state government, municipality, whatever, you know, that of course you're exempt, university, or you have to be an accredited museum from AAM. Oh. Have y'all ever heard of such a crazy legislation? Guess how many accredited museums we have in Oklahoma? Ten. Ten. Yeah, we used to have eleven, but now we have ten. And most of them, not all of them, but most of them are part of the state or whatever. But, um, of course, we have some that are not. But anyway, so they are exempt from paying sales tax. So we have been working on that legislation for years. Every year, we've even hired real lobbyists. It gets to the end and then it doesn't get passed. We didn't try very hard this last year because the, even once, um, even legislation that's already been passed where people were exempt, they got that uh, cut back a little bit. Not our museums, but some other things. So we did not work on it this year. But anyways, uh, we do have a governmental relations committee that works with um, this, kind of the this kind of legislation and one that we're getting ready to start more research and we're going to our museums to get more research are on old loans and abandoned property. And we're not sure how that's gonna go, but I know that some of our state institutions, they were having problems whenever they were getting rid of their um, their deaccession pieces, they had to go to surplus. Well, we, that's not a good idea. We want them to go to other museums, needless to say. So anyway, so that's another part of our advocacy piece that we do as local legislation, uh, our state legislation as well. On the Oklahoma Museums Association website, which is okmuseums.org, we have wonderful resources for advocacy on there. And it's on the left-hand side. When you get there, it'll say resources, advocacy, and we have many things you just click on and use it, including the economic impact for nonprofit arts and cultural organizations in Oklahoma, um, economic prosperity calculator from Americans for the Arts, the economic impact of the nonprofit arts industry summaries. We have speakupformuseums.org, the survey on state museum associations advocacy link that was part of all of that the nonprofit lobbying guide, independent um, sector website, and all that. Now, I just have three little things I'm gonna say that I'm gonna finish so that way Bill can take over because I know time's getting away. But this will make it so easy. I mean, basically, um, if you can get your members and your board and your, um, your uh, constituents to, whenever we send out an alert to follow through, to send a quick email, Make sure that you personalize it. Make sure you tell your museum story. We just do not want the boilerplates going out. We truly want it to mean something. I know you know, and I'm talking at national level or state level, that it, it boils down to the, the community which the senators or representatives serve. I mean, even down to the neighborhoods, honestly. And so make sure you put that information in there because really it doesn't do as good for OMA or for ASLH across the board to say, oh, we're advocating for every Oklahoma museum. No, I know you know. They want to say the museum in my district, in my neighborhood, that's who I want to hear from. Do they need the help? And so that's where we have to have you do that. And then also uh, I find out their position on museum-related issues. Also, let your museum association know when you have heard back from your senator representative or even when you have contacted them. Also, um, the more people that contact them regarding these museum issues, the more they're gonna take notice. And I hear that firsthand from them all the time. 
You could also write a letter. I know not many people write a letter, but honestly, they always write letters back to us. We don't get receive emails back, we get letters back from them. Or call your legislator. And I know you might only end up talking to a staffer, which is equally as fine. That is not a problem. Treat them with respect as well, because they know and they can still get the message there. And then we want you to have the facts. That's why we want you to, the information that Terry is passing out for Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Museum's information we give, whatever state you happen to be from, I'm sure your State Museum Association would be able to give you some information as well. And that is really all that I have. Does anyone have any quick questions before Bill gets started? If you need anything while you're here, you can track me down, okay? Did you have something? Oops, wait just a second, so I won't get in trouble. That's okay, that's okay. I was intrigued by your notion of organizing your representatives by congressional district and uh, was wondering if then they are assigned to do outreach to the congressperson and do you give them a package and, and do they then regularly become a resource for that congressperson? Okay, that would be the perfect world. <laughs> Regina is one of our district reps. In fact, she's going to start on the board in, in January. Yes, Cecil? But to build on that, I find it's so easy to get to the, to the local rep. Every one of them has a local rep, and you've got to get to know them, first name basis. Hi, Cecil. Hi, Joe. And then whenever you contact them, it goes straight to D.C. Yeah, you're exactly right. But regarding your question, the way it works for OMA, we are working on our district reps becoming more familiar. But really um, what it is is the district, the district becomes like more of an organized advocacy effort itself. Whenever the um, representative comes home for district meetings or uh, town hall meetings, I think is what they call them here, then we send out that usually the uh, representative's office will contact us and say we're going to have you know a town hall meeting so and so we will send that to the district rep and to the museums in that district it, it might not have anything to do with museums but still we want them to know that they're going to be there and um, and we haven't really got to where we can send so many people to advocacy day and where we can actually send people to DC but that is our hope is to use our districts more as advocacy tools did that help or not help? Yeah. I'm not sure. Okay, so we're trying to rally the districts so that way they'll be organized amongst themselves because the districts have different needs, truthfully. The terrain even around Oklahoma is crazy. And so the different, we have five districts and they, they're working on doing that on their own. So I don't know if I answered that. Yeah, a challenge we would probably have in that is our districts are kind of crazy themselves. Yeah. District 1 and District 5, those are basically our urban areas. Yeah. But I mean, Oklahoma is a pretty big state, as you probably know now. And so, District 3, it's basically from the Panhandle, is, I think that's right, from the Panhandle all the way down to, to the city. You, even south, more kind of towards Lawton area, yes. even. So, even further south. So, geographically, it is spread out. But honestly, the museums have come together. And even though we were thinking advocacy for them, they have enjoyed just knowing each other and meeting each other being under that and having the same representative and knowing who that is. And some of the representatives are more friendly to museums of the arts and history than others. So some districts have it easier than others. <laughs> and libraries do that in spades. So, so we need to work harder. We're starting, but we do need to work harder on 
probably will. Well, I'm gonna let Bill go so that way we'll have time for him. Thank you for being here. I just want to say that I noted on here that there are 77 counties in Oklahoma and you serve 76 and I think we all ought to get in the car and go to hey, that county. We serve 77 now. <laughs> there was no one to serve in that county, but we tracked down the historic site that was my function. <laughs> well, good morning, everybody. I'd first like to say that I'm, I'm very honored to have been asked to present here this morning on advocacy because uh, sometimes when we're doing this kind of work, we don't <clears throat> think that it matters nationally or that anybody is, is taking note. And, and particularly from a, a place like Montana, which is, I think, agreed, it's a very large geographic place. It's really a very small museum place. And when we started to do the research, we found that um, <clears throat> Thinking that it was a small museum place, we found that actually it was a very large museum place on a very large piece of the American landscape. So the first thing I would say about advocacy is, is that it's, it's, it's about salesmanship. Everybody in here, I think, is, is a salesman for a museum, and we're hearing about how to, how to do that. So our advocacy efforts in Montana and, and at the Museums Association of Montana is, is more about salesmanship and how to, how to give people some of the tools that it takes to be good uh, advocates and salesmen for your organization. So I'm, I'm very pleased to be here. And, and I will start with a, with a basic a general outline of our organization. Um, I think we all approached our presentations this morning a little bit differently. But in the, in, the, in the museum realm, I think, the Museum Association of Montana is a relatively new organization. It was formed in 1967. Um, and it was initially formed with an all-volunteer board of directors, of course. Following that, um, it, it went along for many, many years with, with wide support throughout the state. In 2005, we reached a point where we were able to hire one part-time staff member, and, and she's a coordinator. She, her other job is for the Montana Historical Society, and she works for us part-time. That made a big difference in our organization, as you can well imagine. <coughs> Um, our main, of course, our main partner in advocacy is the Montana Historical Society. And prior to uh, 2008, the organization and the Museums Association had a had a, a, a handshake agreement with the Montana Historical Society. Was anybody in the room on the partnering uh, presentation yesterday afternoon? We had a we had a very uh, loose partnership. There's many things in Montana still done over a cup of coffee and a handshake. And in 2008, we, we set aside time and sat down with the Historical Society and put together a, a, an MOU so that we had an actual partner with them. And, and what that allowed us to do is formalize our, our agreement in, in terms of office space, mailing help, the, the kinds of things that we relied on the Historical Society to help us do. Uh, <clears throat> so we now have in our, in our state, which is anybody here from uh, a state with less than a million people in it? Maine. Maine, all right. How many? Um, maybe just, just around a million. Just around a million. We're about, we're about 900,000 yeah, in Montana. Um, we have 143 members in our organization, and which isn't bad considering in Montana there's about 200 uh, museums. And, and that's per capita. That is, that is a very large amount of museums per person. I think something like 4,500. So, we're, we're very pleased 
to have uh, a very active museum community. Um, and how I would describe our agency in the last 10 years is, is one of going through kind of change and, and, and growth. Not knowing how to proceed or where to proceed. Now the, the Museum Association of Montana, I, I think we're <coughs> always advocating on museums and, and we serve all kinds of museums, not just history, although I happen to be a historian, so I'm a little partial. Uh, but we've also learned that, you know, zoos and aquariums and some of those other places that visiting. There are museums. So one of the things that one of the things that we have always done is we provide uh, an annual professional development conference. Every I think every state museum association does that. Uh, it's, it's regularly attended by about a hundred uh, professionals from around the state whether they're volunteer board members or, or anything else. And that usually turns into a large advocacy issue because in, in Montana Anywhere that we decide to go for this conference, and it, we bounce it around every year from, from different location to different location, um, we only have one city in Montana that has more than 100,000 people in it. So when you go to any place, you make a large impact in the local economy, and that turns into an advocacy event. And it's recently we've, we've began to understand it, so we invite uh, local state and local representatives to, to welcome us here, a little bit like the lieutenant's governor did yesterday when he he invited everybody to uh, come put their flag in Oklahoma. Uh, so we have this, we have this, I guess I would call it an underground advocacy. It wasn't really brought to the forefront. We didn't really know uh, much about advocacy. And a couple of years ago, I guess it was last year in Cheyenne, Wyoming, the Mountain Plains Museum Association made a splash in Wyoming. And it was one of those rare years where it was close enough was only a thousand miles away, so it was close enough for those of us in Montana to drive. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you know anything about Montana geography, but from, from the northwest to the southeast corner of the state is, is about 850 miles. It's a very long state to try to get through. But it was, like I said, it was within, in a thousand miles, and that's nothing when you're in Montana. So we drove down there. I was, I was very impressed. My, my fellow board members and I went down, uh, and we saw Fort Bell speak and it was very inspiring. And the whole meeting then was followed up by presentations by Senator uh, Alan Simpson and his brother Pete, who has an earned PhD in, in history. And their message was, was very clear. This advocacy is, is it's an easy thing to do. You just have to do it. And, and, I, and I, we, we took that message home and we said, okay, so let's, let's do this. How can, we, how can we do this better than what we have done in the past? And, it, and it, it came about, like I said, it was, a, it was a, almost a haphazard thing. We said, well, let's, let's advocate. We should go to Museum Advocacy Day in Washington, D.C. And, and we asked two people, hey, we don't have the money in our budget. You said your budget was 250000 and they spent 3000 on advocacy. Our budget in, at the Museum Association of Montana, and we're very proud of this, is, is about 30000 and, and last year we spent almost 3,000 on advocacy. Um, and, and so I, I, it's interesting to come and meet people with if other museum associations that are, that are in a different position than we are. So I, I, have, a, I, have, a, I have a thrill with that. Um, but we, we, we talked to two donors. We said, hey, can, we, can you send us to advocacy? We think it's important to do this and, and go and do this. And in about four hours, we raised the money to, to be able to go. Now next year, um, we've made it a mandate to raise a little bit more money because my hotel room was disgusting. Uh, 
Um, you, you, need to, you need to pick your hotels very carefully in and around D.C. Is, is what we've learned. We didn't know that before, but we know that now. Note to sell a little bit more money for nicer accommodations uh, this, this upcoming February. Advocacy Day this year is the last day of February, the first day of March. And um, I'll, I'll, now I'll talk a little bit about uh, how we advocate and what we did. We, Like I said, we went to... Um, the Hill and we learned and we, and we talked some things and, and we already knew our representatives. We only have three in Montana. There's Congressman Reberg and Senators Baucus and Tester. And, and so we, we had a relationship, at least some person in the Museums Association had a relationship with those people already because it's still a small enough state where we can, you can know your elected officials. That was our first step at national advocacy. Prior to that, we had dabbled in advocacy at the state level. And and we're not split up into into our organization. It's just a, it's the Montana, the Museums Association of Montana. We don't split into congressional districts, or it, probably in Montana we'd split into hunting districts. <laughs> but we, we we haven't done that. But we have done some advocacy issues in the past. We've never gotten any state support. Not not one piece of, of you know general uh, general fund appropriation from the state. Um, but we have done advocacy efforts. We have gone to the Capitol and, and Helen, and our legislative uh, body is an interesting story because uh, they meet every two years. They're all volunteer positions. They meet for 90 days every two years. And I think there's a few of us that are actively working to try to get them to meet every 90 years for two days. Which <laughs> would be highly effective. But uh, we started to we started to go to our members. We, we sponsored a luncheon for them. They, they came in. They said, you know, what can we do? What are we doing? We said, hey, there's museums in Montana. Every every one of you are from a, a district with a museum in it. And and we, we ended up just having we didn't ask them for anything. We didn't know that that was a no no in advocacy. We learned we learned last year that to be a good advocate, you have to know what you're asking for, and you have to be very very specific about what you want, because every lawmaker will say to you, oh, I'm completely behind, you know, the museum. It's great. Well, that doesn't translate into action on their part, necessarily. Because it's like saying, oh, I don't like kids. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously not for education. Because, and nobody get elected that way. So you, they're, they're politicians at the end of the day. So they say, we're all absolutely behind museums. We love them. We don't want to fund them. And that's where we came in and said, this, this has to be different. So the one piece of, the one piece of state funding that we get is each year the Montana has a fund called the, the Coal Trust and that is basically um, a fund set aside as I think Terry mentioned for renewable resources, non-renewable resources that go to uh, the culture in Montana and it's, and it's a large, it's where the Montana uh, Arts Council lives, it's where they get their funding, it's, it's uh, I think a, a great project and they have cultural and aesthetic grants every year and we go every year and we apply every two years on the biennium and we apply for general operating support and our agency each time that we've gone in the last 10 years that I've been a part of the organization has been ranked as the number one state service organization. So when we stand up there with the Humanities Council and everyone else, the Museums Association gets high recognition as something that's, that's valuable for funding and we testify in front of our legislators as why we need this funding, why it's crucial, what we do for our membership and, and we're, we're funded partly through a grant that way. So that's one piece of advocacy that we really didn't know we were doing, but that we were doing each year by, by meeting with these representatives. Um, and 
aside from that, I would say that we have changed our organization at the Museums Association of Montana to reflect what I think is, is crucial, these new needs. And Terry spoke of them and, and uh, Deborah spoke of them, uh, or Brenda, sorry, um, spoke of these. And, 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 it, and it is, it's basically, how does your organization operate and what do you do if you're a part of it or if you're just one institution? And, and so what we thought we could do was give uh, people uh, some tools and a voice and, and work for them. And so since about 2007, when we started getting involved in the federal state coalition, uh, that was made very, that, that became crystal clear to us. I was not president at the time, but our previous president uh, immediately saw the value of partnering with AASLH and the other state organizations and AAM to try and move this idea forward for federal funding through IMLS at a, at a national level, and, it, and it's a, it's a no-brainer. Um, so after, after this kind of perfect storm of things, we've done a couple of things in our organization to build an organization around a couple of pillars, and, and one of those pillars is advocacy. How do we do this better? And we've since done a couple of interesting things. We, we, uh, we now require all of our board members to, to make a donation to the organization, to the Museums Association. And, and, I, and I, some organizations do this and some don't, but I'm a big fan of if you spend a dollar on it, it's something you believe in, yada, yada, yada. And so we, we require that. Um, <clears throat> We have created and maintained an ongoing relationship with all of our federal representatives. And that, that is just salesmanship, simply going to the office, knocking on the door and saying, you're Max Baucus's representative, here's who I am, and here's what the museums do for the, the community in Montana. Here's what you can do for us. Uh, <clears throat> as of yet, we've been phenomenally unsuccessful at influencing uh, national uh, I guess trends. The, the, we, there's a, a Dear Colleague letter. There, it's got a couple of different names. Tonko Slaughter letter in the Senate and Gillibrand in the House. Um, none of our representatives in Montana decided to sign on to that letter saying that it was important. But uh, <clears throat> we, we asked them to, very clearly. And that was a lesson learned from, from Advocacy Day in D.C. Um, another couple of things that we did that we thought might be a good idea is we extended, as an association statewide, we extended an invitation to build an exhibit in each one of their D.C. offices so that everybody, whenever they walked into a, to a Montana lawmaker's office in Washington, D.C., would be pretty much bowled over by uh, a Montana Museum's message. And at this point, only, only Reber, uh, our, our, our representative, has taken uh, advantage of that opportunity. And it, the, the position is currently on hiatus because um, of the November elections, and I think most incumbents are just a tad nervous right now about what's going to happen in November. But if Reberg is reelected, uh, we're going to build, uh, hopefully, build an exhibit in his office so that everybody that visits that office immediately sees a message from the Museums Association. Uh, we have now dedicated each part of our board meetings and our newsletter to a session on advocacy. All board members must come back and report uh, on their advocacy efforts for the previous uh, quarter. We meet four times a year. And we're, we're just asking everybody to go down to your local, most places have a regional federal representative that we can go and, and meet and, and just develop a relationship. It's, again, it is um, salesmanship. 
And in my day job, I'm also a curator at a, at a state agency. I, I represent the Montana Heritage Commission. And we do advocacy there as well, which is, is another side of the coin, although and we're a state Although we're a state-funded agency, we're not state-funded. We don't get any money from the, the taxpayers of Montana. We're funded through uh, a tax we call vet tax, which is a, an accommodations tax on not people staying in hotels. Um, and we're also, you can opt into, uh, when you license a vehicle in Montana, you can opt in to throw a quarter to, uh, it's, I think it's $4 to state parks, and, a, and we get it like a nickel of that. And we, we're, we're proud of that. We had a large federal appropriation when my agency started, but since then, in, in, you know, in the economic times, everything has, has shrank. We're one of the few state agencies in Montana right now currently operating in the black, and we're quite proud of that. Um, that's history at work. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, we advocate for our own agency as well, and part of what we do is each, each year, it, when, the, when the legislature's in session, we sponsor a, what we call a rotunda event, and, and I don't know how other capitals around the, the country work, but we can basically schedule time in the rotunda to have all to ourselves. So our legislative session is incredibly frantic. It's, it's busy, they don't have offices, it's, all, you know, it's committee meetings, this, that, and the other thing. But we've discovered that they all like to eat. And so we have a lunch for them, and we sponsor lunch, they can come down and get a free lunch. But they have to visit with each and every one of our staff members, whether it's our preservation program, or our collections program, or, or one of those to get their food, and, and that's been very effective. And we also advocate, you know, on the state, and I wanted to mention, we, I know we've got some historic preservation people in the room. Uh, preservation in Montana and museums go, go hand in hand. Uh, we, we just, as part of the Museums Association, we, about 10 years ago we put together an economic impact study of um, the museums in Montana's economy. And that was a very eye-opening experience for us because what we learned was that Museums in Montana contribute uh, more than a couple million, that's a $34 million a year industry in Montana. And when you think about the, the number of people in Montana, um, aside from ranching and mining, that's a really big chunk of the pie for our industries. Um, there's, a, there's a joke in Montana that if you can't, if you can't put it in terms of cows, you can't, you can't get a vote on it in, in the legislature. Um, and that's a lot of cows, 34 million. Now we put it in cows, and that's that's a lot of that's a lot of beef. Uh, so we we did this economic impact study, and the, and the data is now 10 years old. And we've had a we've had a hard time overcoming that when we say to lawmakers, you got to give them. I think Terry said something about data. You have to give them good information when they say, well, what can we do for you, and what's in it for me? Well, this is what's in it for you, and that's part of part of what we do. Um, and recently, uh, as part of our advocacy efforts. Uh, the Museums Association, a partnership with the State Historic Preservation Office, I mean like Monday, received a $15,000 grant through Preserve America as, as a portion of our funding to redo the economic impact survey and include historic preservation projects and agencies in with the museum economic bundle. And we think that, that we're, we're really excited about being able to produce this and, and being able to hand it out, but that's going to be a, a significant part of what uh, lawmakers see as huge dollar sign um, the most renewable building you can do the greenest building on earth is one that's already built and so we're we're, uh, we're very happy to, to, to be able to throw in preservation it's it's a it's a no-brainer um, so the more you can do 
at the state level and at the federal level to give your, your people good data is, I think, very crucial. Um, the, other, the other advantage that we have is being a state agency, we have automatically on our, on our board of commissioners uh, elected lawmakers. And sometimes they're our friends and sometimes they are not. They're, they're put on the, the board, there's some de facto positions, but our, our board, basically the board of directors, our commissioners, um, are selected either by our governor or they're put on there by the president of the Senate. And, and they, can be, they can be friends or foes, depending on, depending on how it goes. And, and we're also, at the lobbying level, if we're gonna say advocacy is sometimes very closely linked to lobbying, as a state agency, um, depending on the political <coughs> climate, we can or cannot lobby uh, necessarily on the hill, on our Capitol Hill in Helena, because the governor says to his department heads, depending on the, on the who's governor at the time, he limits how much, or the governor limits how much you can or cannot do in, in lobbying. So it, there's, there's been years when the governor said, hey, you're in our budget, and our executive director's been told, if you go over there, I'll take you out of the governor's budget. If you support a law or a bill that's gonna damage my budget and try to make more money for your organization, whatever, then we'll just remove you from the budget. So there's there's a, a political game. When you, you, you I guess, well, there is. He's a, well, no, I'm not talking about our current governor. I'm just talking in general. The governor can tell the state agency heads, executive directors of places like my agency, Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, the Montana Historical Society, how much activity they can or cannot have in influencing uh, lawmakers when the legislature's in session. So that's, a, that's another interesting challenge that we face. The number one challenge that we've, we've, we've come across, and this is what we've worked hard to do, is, <clears throat> well, you know, we love museums, but how do you translate that into something that uh, a lawmaker can get? And, and we, we kind of chuckled up here when somebody mentioned Senator Coburn's name. Um, and there's been some problems, uh, I think, with, with that whole, kind of very conservative thought, and in Montana, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, is a very conservative state. So one of the things that we've done is we've, we've developed some language to help people advocate for museums, because a lot of times, it, it's simply a matter of, um, this had nothing to do with my presentation, I just felt like I had to have something up here. <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. But I'm, I'm just about done, I'm about ready to wrap up. Um, what I, what I wanted to say is that it, it took a long time for us to come up with, hey, how can we give people some tools in their toolbox when they're advocating, whether it's a county commissioner. I, my office is in the, in, the, in the county seat. There's 150 people that live in the county seat of Madison County and it's 6,000 square miles. Um, it, how do you give people the tools to say when somebody says to you, well, you know, I think museums are a good thing, but I don't really think you should fund them. Well, it, it's really simple. This is, the, this is the one phrase that we give them. Um, it's the most patriotic thing you can do, is fund a museum. Good museums are no different than a church, a school, or a library. It, it, people that are informed about their culture, their heritage, their traditions, and their art make better voters. And that's the most key piece of the American idea, is inform your citizenry and let them make the good choices in a government, supposedly, of the people, for the people, by the people. And, and that's, that's what we say is, hey, you have a good museum? If, if you're, no matter your political leanings, if you have a good museum, you'll get more votes. 
And that's, that's one of the things that we tell them, is that it's simple. Fund a museum is just like buying a boat. And uh, so far, it's working just a little bit. Not, not a lot, but it's working just a little bit. So um, we have, we've had a little bit of success. We're going to continue to donate and raise funds for advocacy. We're, we're already booking our plane tickets for the following year, uh, this, this upcoming 2011's Advocacy Day in DC. Um, one visit is not enough. You have to follow up with that. Um, we've had site visits this summer from uh, representatives in Baucus's office, Tester's office, and Reberg's office onto our site. And I tell all of our museum and board members that invite them to your institution, but when you do, you, you have to also tell them that I'm showing you the best of the best today as part of this larger uh, sphere that is Montana's museum community. And that's another tool that everybody has to get across. Is this is just one example of a great way that, that we're making a difference in America, in Montana, or in your state. And here's how we're doing it. And it's through site visits. When you have a special event, a fundraising event, something awesome, invite them. Get them down there, show them what you're doing, and, and remind them that this is just one part of Oklahoma's 500 museums. There's 500 other places today doing exactly what we're doing right now and doing it equally as well. But I wanted to show you this place because this is where I'm at. I can't be in 500 places. So all of our board members are given these tools. They're given pep talks by me. Um, and, and basically, um, not that politicians, don't equate stupidity with ignorance. Politicians are ignorant of what museums do. We have, we have woefully fallen down on the job of standing up for something we love. Um, in, the arena of national politics, as evidenced by, I think, some of the data that Terry handed out and some of the things that, that come out of uh, bills and laws and, and, and the craziness that goes on in D.C. So um, stand up for it. It, it. We just have to be more active, and that's, that's the best tool that I can give people is I don't care what you say to a lawmaker, whether it's a county commissioner, a mayor, or a senator, or a senator staffer. Staffers are probably the Nobody would admit to this, but once you could convince a staffer to do something for you, the deal's done. Um, you don't need to. You don't need to convince the boss because the, they they have a billion things going on, and once you convince a staffer to, to, that something is good, and they put that little bird in the and, and word in the ear, it's a done deal. So um, that's that's really what I have on how we advocate in Montana, and and how I think AASLH. <coughs> It plays a crucial role in that is by, by giving us some of the tools that we need. I look to Terry when I need to go to people and say, hey, what are, what are we doing? How are we going to get through this? So, so it's a trickle down. It, it really is a trickle down. It comes from people like Ford Bell and Terry that, that give us tools that we can take back and we can apply and we can, I, I guess we can kind of mess around with a formula to come up with something that works for us and something that works as a national community of museums, which is really what we're doing. We're, we're, I, I think we're in the fight of our lives. And I, and I think it's high time that, that we stop um, being kind of hiding behind history and, and start pushing it forward and saying, um, how many here in this room has been heard the, the phrase, oh, you know, I think museums ought to be run more like businesses, right? Lehman Brothers, which, which business do we want to be run like? One of the ones that got a bailout? And we finally got some real tools and, and it came at a time economically where it's been hardest for us as a community to keep going and, you know, 
kick and butt and taking names. But this, this, this current economy has given us all the tools we need. If you had supported museums instead of General Motors, you know, we would have a healthy, wise citizenry that probably wouldn't have gotten us into the messes that we're currently in. Maybe corporate greed wouldn't be uh, running the, amok, and, and so I, I don't want to be political and, and talk, but. <laughs> well, I wish everybody had your passion for it. Well, that's all I can say. Okay, who wants more money for their museum? Who's willing to do something about it? Yay. All right, that's what this is all about. Now go home and recruit somebody to do something about it with you because we can't do it all, but it's all about you, and we're very pleased to represent you on the Hill. Now go do it for yourselves, too. Thank you very much. I'm sorry.